You are listening to Apple Podcasts, number one tech news podcast in the Philippines. Here's your host, Jack of Jack Talks Tech. everyone my name is jack and welcome to yet another episode of jack talks tech whether you're listening to the podcast via anchor spotify google podcast apple podcast or wherever you get your favorite podcast thank you i appreciate it very much we are recording live from the studio apartment here in Lucena City. It's season two, episode one, the 9th of January, 2021. It's been a while since I last did this, so please bear with me. But before we proceed, I'd just like to greet each and every one a happy, happy new year. And I'm wishing each and every one to have a prosperous new year. In addition, I understand that this has been already announced to various socials. I'd just like to let you guys know that our show is now proudly part of Cut Print Podcast Network. And speaking of socials, after seven months, we now have a Facebook page. So let's start from there, okay? I'm gonna put the link on the show notes below. So make sure to hit that like button and follow me on Facebook so that you'll be the first one to know what's up with the podcast. I would also like to take this opportunity to thank the management and all the members, all the shows of Cutprint Podcast Network for the warmest welcome that I've ever received. You guys are awesome. You guys are cool. So from the bottom of my CPU and motherboard, include RAM and SSD. Thank you. I do really appreciate it. I would also like to thank the Podcast PH and Philippine Podcast Directory family. You know, guys, you built an amazing community for all the podcasters. The show being picked up by a network wouldn't be possible without the support of this entire community so thank you as well now before we proceed to today's topic i'd just like to share something that i thought about during the holiday season i've heard it all before you're just 
a content creator. You're just a podcaster. A social media influencer wannabe. You're not a real broadcaster. <laughs> You're not a real reporter. Look. I get it. Because the truth is that most of the time, I believe it. I mean, I record myself and post it online. I did that in my bedroom. How could I possibly be in the same league as the real professionals? You know, filming shows, commercials, shooting ad campaigns, making the stuff you hear on the radio and see all over the internet. So just in the Philippines alone, one of the top 200 podcasters, let alone number one in the category. So how does a guy who's just a podcaster even try to fit into this landscape, into that world of real professionals? So when I was invited to be part of Cutprint Podcast Network, I'm really excited. Two bigger things, but those same doubts were there. The same voices in my head. I silently asked them, Do you want me to become part of this? I'm just an indie podcaster. Now, 2020 has been a hard and strange year for all of us. And for me, it's just a time to step back and evaluate what I want to do and what I wanted to accomplish. What's the goal? What's the point of any of this? And I don't think any of us are just anything. Just podcasters. Just influencers. Just kids with mics. Amateur hour. Anyone who's tried to make anything knows the struggle. It's a lot easier to criticize than it is to create. And if the goal here is to inspire to move people to make something that's worth a person's time, what makes us any different from these so-called professionals? We're capable of so much more than what we give ourselves credit for. And the beauty of this medium is that we don't need permission. Anyone can make anything and we've made it a lot beautiful. I am constantly being inspired by this community and by the attitude that anything is possible. That our only limit is our imagination and our willingness to put in the work. And if that is not professional, I don't know what is. And the great thing about what we do about creating is that it doesn't matter what anyone thinks about us because the work speaks for itself. So again, thank you. All right. Now, before we proceed to today's topic, 
please have a listen to the show's affiliates. Music definitely adds style to your content. I started using Epidemic Sound from the very beginning. Having to try and find a copyright-free music that's good? Wow, it's a nightmare. Having the ability to browse a library and find basically everything you want. That's the nicest thing which makes it making content easier. You can find what you need, add it to your multi-track, export it, and you're done. Sign up to Epidemic Sound using the link on the description and get one month free trial. That is my son and Fernie. I recorded that last December 14. So where were you last December 14? Do you even recall what are you doing during that day? We always assume that Google services will be there. From Gmail and YouTube to online storage, search and smart homes, we take it for granted. Each hour, YouTube has 30,000 hours of video uploaded. Google has almost 230 million searches and an enormous amount of emails are sent. In terms of connections, Google controls about a third of the surface internet. But last December 14, all the Google services suddenly disappeared across the world. Users were unable to access emails. My son was kicked out on his ongoing Google Meet session. One Twitter user even said that he was left sitting in the dark with his toddler as his Google Home system had failed. The crash had become one of the biggest social media trends. It sent waves of panic across businesses in many parts of the world. How could one of the largest companies suddenly go dark on all of its services at once? What happened? Was this a hack in total? The outage only lasted for about an hour but it already had caused a lot of chaos. When it was all over, most people forgot about it and went about their day. But this event stuck with me when you analyze the situation. Some interesting things emerge. Not only are consumers dependent on Google, but many businesses that you may not think are also. Is the world too dependent on Google? And how does Google avoid downtime in the first place? The Google outage caused pandemonium across the world. Some of the biggest companies use Google and it includes Uber, Airbnb, Pinterest, Netflix, Spotify, Twitter, 
the list goes on. We know most of the employees work from home and they're not able to reach not just these services in terms of Gmail, but in some cases, get into the system at all. A lot of companies use Gmail to quote-unquote authenticate as you've tried to get into different websites and web services. Including myself, I use Google Authenticator when logging into my day job. Salesforce, Dropbox, so many other that uses Google simply to get online. In certain cases, that's inaccessible too. It's also hitting the quote-unquote the real world. Nest heaters, as you know, that can control heat air conditioning, and the like. Those appear to be down as well across the globe. There are companies literally in standstill. Are we seeing a wake-up call? Not like we're dependent on this, right? I mean, this can't be happening. This is it. Gmail, Google Search, YouTube, Google Docs, Google Drive, Nest Home Systems, Google Play, even Stadia, all gone. The Wall Street Journal newsroom was dependent on Google services. So during the outage, some reporters had to resort to using telephones to collaborate in writing stories. Some schools, even here in the Philippines, had to close for the day after Google crashed. Some schools heavily relied on Google Meet for classes. Many other educational institutions would have been affected due to the prevalence of online classes because of you know this ongoing pandemic. There were also cases of the management of medical companies not being able to check on the schedules of physicians and other medical staff nor being able to contact customers. Remote work and learning have left individuals and businesses more dependent on online services than ever and in this domain, Google is the most widely used. All in all, the outage affected billions of people worldwide. So, what happened? A Google spokeswoman told the Wall Street Journal that there was a problem with the company system that authenticates login credentials. She stated that the problem was due to internal servers and that the issues weren't the result of a cyber attack. This explanation doesn't give us much, but that's just about all what Google wants to say about this issue. As you will hear later, there may be something more to this outage than first meets the eye. It really is rare for Google to have such a global outage like this because even a single physical geography, it is served by multiple servers across the world. And even on these servers, there are multiple backups that rapidly come online. If there is a problem, we've seen so much commerce and people's livelihoods rely on Google. 
it raises some serious questions. What if next time Google was down, not just for an hour, but for days? Billions of dollars in revenue could be lost by companies around the world. So how does Google prevent this? How does Google basically never go down? Google calls their plan to keep their services up and running. Site Reliability Engineering, or SRE, coined all the way back in 2006. SRE is a digital design philosophy. Basically, for Google, the idea is to get software coders to run software management instead of getting IT managers to run it. People call this kind of philosophy DevOps. Basically, development software coding that provides the outcome of a system administrator. The idea goes as follows. Software coders will get bored by performing tasks by hand and naturally build tools to help automate the process without involvement of actual people. In fact, Google has written a book about this. Google states that SRE is the most fundamental feature. Todd Underwood of Google in 2016 told Wide Magazine, quote, We long for the day when nobody runs anything, end quote. It's interesting because traditionally, development and operations were opposing forces. The devs always wanted to build new software and get the changes out to the public as fast as possible, but the operations staff wanted to ensure that nothing went wrong and the best way to do this is to keep the changes to a minimum. The trick that Google found is that if you combine development and operations, you can get a powerful synergy for a reliable system. It makes sense. Google is the world's largest online empire. The more humans you have running things, the more probability there is for mistakes. Just have code run everything, but within that human coders can still make mistakes. Though another question must be asked. Is the Google empire too big? Some say that Google's outage temporarily crippling the productivity of billions around the world has just made the biggest antitrust argument anyone could have ever done. Currently, Google is facing off against the U.S. Department of Justice for violating antitrust laws. So according to the U.S. government, the answer to the question of Google being too big is yes. It's the biggest antitrust case against a tech company in at least a generation. Google's lawsuit is one of the biggest antitrust cases since Microsoft in 1998. While monopolies aren't technically illegal, shutting out the competition is. The Department of Justice argues that Google illegally ensures that its search engine is the default option preloaded you know, into our cell phones. From Apple's iPhone, to its own Android phone, 
and this blocks out competitors. This lawsuit will take more than a year to go into trial and it's one of the many antitrust lawsuits against the company. Where were we all of Google's services going down all across the world? For about an hour, the result was pandemonium across businesses and individuals alike. And then we learned how Google keeps things running with site reliability engineering. Moving on, what about hacking? To combat the threat of hacking, Google often runs hacking championships. These feature hackers who report security problems so that they can be fixed before bad actors exploit them. Google calls this the Vulnerability Reward Program, and it was first launched in 2010. According to Google in 2019, the top price in this category was around $1 million for hacking a Google Pixel phone. Though this next part is the interesting thing. The Google outage occurred just a mere few hours after it was discovered that the U.S. government had been targeted by a foreign cyber attack. The hack was so serious that it led to an emergency National Security Council meeting at the White House. Experts are calling it one of the most sophisticated hacks ever seen. It was done through something called a supply chain hack. A software tool called SolarWinds that was used by government departments was infected with malware during an update. After these hackers were able to monitor internal emails and do some general snooping, the infected software update in question was released all the way back in March of 2020 and lay undetected until the week prior 14th of December. Thousands of companies and American government departments use some form of SolarWinds software. Some affected by the hack include the Department of Homeland Security, Department of Justice, Department of Defense, the Treasury Department, NASA, the NSA, and more. All the top 10 U.S. telecom companies and 425 of the U.S. Fortune 500 companies are all said to be at risk. It's estimated that 18,000 clients had installed the infected updates. Ironically for this topic, SolarWind software monitors computer networks of businesses and government for outages. Government officials admit that they were stunned by the sophistication of the hack and that many of America's most deeply held secrets may have been stolen. They were able to access different levels of credentials. In other words, they got in through the back door, then they were able to get into the front door of all of our homes and all of our buildings and all of our government agencies. There was some more breaking news. A Microsoft security analyst believes that there was a second group that launched a second attack on the same SolarWinds software. It's an evolving story that we have to wait and see what happens here. 
Now, this is just a speculation on my part. But what if this massive Google outage was a response to the SolarWinds attack? Google staff may have been hurriedly shoring up their security and the scrambling resulted in some downtime across all of their services. For a massive worldwide outage to occur just a few hours after a massive cyber attack on some of the America's greatest companies, it is pretty interesting timing. Google's outage can be seen as a stark reminder of our hyperconnectedness. The company has become a bottleneck for so much of the world's processes. It's become part of a massive system and if it breaks, it also has a massive consequences for just one company to be unexpected choke point for global productivity. It is pretty unnerving. This whole conversation isn't even to mention privacy issues or the shady origins of Google or having your digital profile sold for ad revenue. What can be done? Well, the solution is obvious. There are alternatives to Google for every service they provide. You know, it really comes down to the individual person or business. What it all comes down to is trading in some of that convenience that we've all gotten used to. What do you guys think? Do you think that the world is too dependent on Google? Were you affected by the Google outage? And if so, what were you thinking at the time? Let's have a conversation. Make sure to follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash jackboxstack. And on Twitter, my personal Twitter is at jerkyjack. Alright, with that said, there's really nothing else left to do. Hit that like button if you like this type of content. Smash it if that's your something into. 2021 style. Give us a follow. Subscribe if you aren't already. And. And. I'll see you in the next one. Assuming that we all survive. Let's make the needy tacky. Peace!